Awesome. I'm going to ask William to head on up here and give us a, a devotion before we jump into our study in the book of Acts. Hello, everyone. My name is William, and um, the verse I would like to go over today is comes from Proverbs 19, verse 21. That's Proverbs 19, verse 21. And it says, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel that will stand. And another translation of that would be, we may make a lot of plans, but the Lord will do what he has decided. And so that kind of speaks to the heart of most people, right? They make plans for themselves, for their lives, and they become really attached to those plans. But we often fail to realize that ultimately we're not in control of the course of our lives. Um, whatever we do within our lives was given to us by God, um, whether it be our bodies or the, our families, the, our, you know, the pers personalities that we have, the socioeconomic status we have. Those all came from God for us to do his purpose in our lives. And so it's basically we have to realize that um, we're not in full control and our lives really are not our own. Um, just from this past year, just think of all the plans we made for this year and how that's been um, changed because of the COVID-19. And this happens so often, we make a lot of plans for ourselves and then like there's all these unexpected events in our lives that just completely changes it. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it can be a tough thing if you become emotionally attached to this vision you had for your future. But the Bible teaches us that if we trust God, then we don't have to be uh, worried about the future or, or be upset when things change. Uh, because in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So we may not know what tomorrow will bring, but we have that peace of mind because we trust God, and God knows the future, and he has uh, good things for us in the future. And good as in it might not be what we envisioned to be good like being materially successful or you know physically comfortable it may be that he may be calling you to a life of you know toil and physical suffering but we need to have that trust that faith that uh, god's ultimate goal in life is not for us to be physically comfortable in this world but his ultimate goal is to have a relationship with us and so sometimes we have to go through suffering to be able to get to that relationship with God. And yeah, so ultimately um, we just got to trust him and we can make plans for our lives, but not 
be too emotionally attached, I think, um, and just keep it kind of open-ended for where God is going to take us because ultimately it's up to him. Thank you. Amen. Right on. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 6. Yeah, I know, I know I'm going to announce this twice, but I'm just really excited that we went through the life of David and completed it this past Wednesday. Uh, to me, that was, um, we started it at the beginning of April, and as, I think as a group, uh, as a body, I'm, I'm, I, we learned a lot from David's life. And so uh, I just have this really excitement of having completed looking at the life of David so again, I just want to say this this Friday, uh, I hope you guys can uh, make it out to our, our backyard uh, movie night as we watch The Life of David, um, the movie of it. Uh, I'm pretty stoked about having completed that again. But that being said, uh, these coming Wednesdays, we're going to go back to Genesis because we didn't finish our study uh, in the book of Genesis. We started that Sunday morning a few months ago. And then COVID hit, so we kind of took a break from the book of Genesis. But now we're going to go back to Genesis this coming Wednesday. So studies are going to be as follows. We're going to be going through the book of Acts Sunday morning, and then Wednesday nights we're going to be completing our study on the book of Genesis. But that being said, we're looking at the book of Acts here and what was taking place with the early church as they begin to grow and to see the wonders of God being performed through ordinary men. Uh, John and Peter were taking up the mantle as, as leaders, and the church went from 120 people, and then God added 3,000 to them, and then God added 5,000 to them. And they started to see these wonderful acts of God. And God was showing himself to be powerful in this church in this time when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, they were struck dead right there and in their bodies were just completely collapsed on the floor and they had to go bury them. This was the power that people were witnessing at the beginning of this early church. And so now as the church is growing, they were being instructed now by the Holy Spirit on how to operate. So what we're looking at here is we're looking at a, a youthful church body because th they were not super mature yet. They didn't even have the, the New Testament as a guidance, but they had the Holy Spirit in them to guide them. And the Holy Spirit was speaking to these disciples, to these men, to write these words down, to give us an account of what God was doing in the early church. So now with this church that was just blossoming and growing, we look at Acts chapter 6. Look at verse 1. It says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. 
because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So here we see the disciples again, they're growing. And there's two groups of people listed here. We have the Hebrews and we have the Hellenists. Now the Hebrews, they were the Jewish people who were from Judea, a very Jewish all around. And the Hellenists, these were also Jews. However, the Hellenists were Jews who were brought up in Greek culture. Perhaps they lived in Greece for some time. Uh, they were not Judean by culture, but they were Greek. But they were still Jewish by ethnicity and still followed some of the practices that the Jewish religion followed. Now, it says that there arose a complaint so already, in the very beginning of the church, what do we have? Conflict. There's already envy and strife happening in a very young church, as is expected. Now in verse 2, it says, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So the Hellenists were those Jews who were raised in Greek culture. They were feeling left out of this daily distribution. Remember, there was like a communal living at this time. It was kind of like a, a communist kind of uh, practices that were taking place here in this early church. And the Hellenists, because they were from Greek culture, they, for some reason, seemed to be getting the leftovers of what was ever there. They wouldn't be getting distributed that daily portion as all the other Judean Jews were. And they were feeling this prejudice against them. So they began to complain to the leaders and saying, hey, how come we're being left out? And so now the disciples, seeing that this is a problem, saying, look, we're not able to be the ones to take this daily distribution to you. And here's the reason why they listed that. They said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, there are times when the duties of ministers, they have to be limited to keep the word of God the priority, focusing on the responsibilities that they have. Now, in our lives, we have so many different responsibilities to look after and to care for. But we need to make sure that what we're focusing on is what we're supposed to be focusing on. What are you guys responsible for? What, what has God assigned you to be responsible for in this season of your life? These are evaluations that you should think about and see, are, are, are you taking on too many responsibilities? Are there responsibilities in your life that don't necessarily need to be there? Are you overburdening yourself? Remember Jesus, he said, take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're feeling the weight of the world on you and you're just anxious, you have no peace in your life, ask God, ask Jesus if there are things in your life that need to be removed and wait on the Lord and just see. Sometimes it's even taking a step back from serving in a particular ministry. Sometimes I, I myself have had to do that of just, you know what, I need to stop 
pray if I'm supposed to be in this particular field of ministry? Because just because there's a need, that doesn't institute your call. You have to be called. You have to see the need and be called to it. It's both. So now the disciples are explaining to these people, look, hey, like we're going to have to figure something out because the word of God needs to take priority. And in verse three, it says, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Okay, so look at the qualifications right here of leadership. Something to note. First, they had to be called. You see, they were to seek out, the disciples were to seek out, these seven, told the men to seek out seven men. So these men were not to elect themselves. They were to be called. Seven men of good reputation. That word for good reputation, it means honest report. Someone who can bear witness. Is our reputation, is it a good one? Do we have a good reputation amongst our coworkers, amongst our bosses, amongst our family, amongst our friends, and all our social circles? Do we have good reputations? Now, what about the person who, let's say, before you became a Christian, you had a terrible reputation? Well, thank God he can give us a new one. But it still takes time. Sometimes it takes months and years to build up a good reputation when you have a tainted past. But God has the power to do that. God can take drug addicts and thieves and this motley crew of men and turn them into pa pastors, which is awesome. And that's often what we see. But that good re reputation, it has to be built up. And it says, full of the Holy Spirit. That's when you're a vessel that's just having the Holy Spirit flowed in you so much, you have that upon experience where the Holy Spirit now flows out of you. And full of wisdom. That's not just knowing information. That's not just knowing the Bible, but that's knowing how to apply that information that you're given in a godly way. And they're going to appoint these seven men over this business. Of what? Of waiting tables. Of serving the widows who felt neglected. Seven, if you're into biblical numerology, seven is the number of completion, of perfection. Now in verse four, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. See how important it is for teachers to be in prayer and in the word and still lead by example. Now, I'm not going to take this account and say, well, you see, like, the pastor's not supposed to do any of the work. That's not what they were saying here, is they had to make sure that the word was being prioritized as the most important thing. 
And then after that, then you take care of all the other responsibilities that are allocated to you. And keep in mind, this was already a, a church that had grown and had many people in it. Went from 120 to plus 3,000 to plus 5,000. So at this point in time, they were able to say, hey, like we need to appoint men to take care of this. Now in verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. I want to pause right here, because this is my title of the study that today. Stephen the Martyr, part one. We're going to go through uh, a chapter and a half today. And then we'll finish the uh, remaining chapter next week. But here in the account, we have the character, the man, Stephen, enters into the scene. Stephen was the first martyr, full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And he's assigned the task of what? Of waiting tables. Sometimes in ministry, we, we get the wrong idea that if you're full of the Holy Spirit, if uh, you're a man of great spiritual gifts, then that automatically gives you the right to position. But here, this was just the requirement so that Stephen can just wait tables. And here he was just being a, a faithful servant to the Lord. He wasn't worried about position, about looking like a leader. He just wanted to serve. Later on, we're going to find out about Stephen that he, not only was he a man who was full of wisdom in the Holy Spirit, but he was also someone who studied the scriptures intensely so that when he would speak to the Pharisees, that his wisdom from the word was not outmatched by them. Again in verse 5, And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Now notice all of these men, they have Greek names, and they were part of the Greek Hellenistic culture, but they were still Jews. So this actually made them great candidates to ensure that the Greek widows were being cared for. And those Greek widows probably would then see them as like, oh, okay, like, you know what, this is someone from my culture, and they, they probably felt really loved by them. Now, as listed, it said Philip. Philip was also an evangelist, and this is maybe the Philip that later on in the book of Acts witnesses to the Ethiopian and baptizes him. And at the very end of that list, there is a man mentioned by the name of Nicholas. So now Nicholas may have been the origin of the Nicolaitans, which we read about in the book of Revelation. And they were men who had become heretics to the gospel. So if that is the case, if Nicholas is kind of the origin of where the Nicolaitans came from and his doctrine, 
then already here at the beginning when they're choosing these men to lead, choosing these men to serve, we already have someone who is an enemy to God. Right there at the beginning of the early church. And it reminds me that Satan is always trying to find his way inside the church. He'll attack from the outside with persecution and then the church will grow stronger because of it. And so then he changes his tactics and then he tries to join the church. Now in verse six, these men whom they set before the apostles and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them see the laying on of hands. Why do we do that when we pray? How can we lay hands on people? Is it because our, our hands are magical? No. The laying on of hands, it was first seen in the book of Genesis when Jacob was praying over his children before he passed away, praying blessings over them. And it's symbolic of this passing on. The priests in the Old Testament too, when they would have the animal sacrifices. Before they would sacrifice that animal, they would lay hands on this animal so that their sins would be passed on to that animal. It's this tra transition. So they would lay hands on these men and pray over them. That right here is praying this passing of the Holy Spirit to flow from them to another. I'm reminded of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. It says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Again, in 1 Timothy 5.22, it says, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. In the Bible, it teaches us not to lay hands on someone suddenly because if they're immature as a Christian, if they're too young in their Christian walk, pride will enter their heart because they'll think, oh, I'm something special. And they'll fall. In another portion of scripture, the Bible teaches us that we are to bring the sick forward and by the elders laying on of hands and praying over them, anointing them with oil, that they will be healed. Now in verse seven, then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many number of priests were obedient to the faith. So this is how powerful the word of God is that even those Jewish priests now are converting over to Christianity. And then in verse eight, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Wonders and signs, what, what could it be referring to there? Well, we saw Jesus doing it, right? He was healing people, casting out demons. And then the early church, they began on the day of Pentecost to speak in tongues. These are the signs and wonders that Stephen was now fulfilling. And remember where he started. He was just someone who was waiting tables. See, God doesn't need someone with a PhD in theology to do his work. 
God just wants us to be available to serve. In verse nine, then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freemen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Celsia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So these Jewish religious representatives from different regions, they began to to dispute with Stephen. You see, they were jealous of the works and wonders that they saw Stephen doing. And they began to to debate with him. But because Stephen was someone who is founded on scripture, founded on the word, who knew it well, these Jewish leaders who knew the scriptures were not able to make him look foolish. They were not able to resist his wisdom from the Holy Spirit. And now they were hating him so much that as he began to win these debates with them, they began to hate him to the point of murder. And then in verse 11, then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. So now these Jewish leaders, they're, they're, because they're so jealous, they began to take the truth that Stephen was preaching and they began to turn it into evil. They began to say, look, what he's saying is evil and he's speaking blasphemy against God, which was not true. And I'm reminded that this world, what it's going to do is it's going to take the truth of the word of God, the blessings of the word, and it's going to put it out there as something that's evil. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, he warns us of this. Isaiah, he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. And that's what we're living in today. We're living in a time where sin is praised. Holiness is seen as something that's evil, that's wrong. If you're a Christian, you're narrow-minded, bigoted, racist, sexist, Islamophobic. That's how the world sees Christians. And we were warned about this, this ideology. Remember 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 says this, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Uh Uh-oh. 
unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. 